0: I am very pleased to be here. I've been to a lot of, the, of different uh, churches and fellowships in the Southwest District because I used to serve as growth consultant. Um, and this is one I had never been to. So I really appreciate Lynn's invitation to come here and I'm really excited to be able to talk with y'all today. Uh, some time ago, I sat behind a father and a daughter on an airplane. She must have been about three. He was attentive and loving and yet encouraging her independence. And as I walked through the gate into the Will Rogers Airport in Oklahoma City, I overheard him say to to her, I'm so proud of you. You did so well on that airplane. And he gave her a big hug. Pride is one of the first lessons we learn in life. I remember those moments when I knew my parents were proud of me, having a good report card or getting along with my brother, playing piano at a recital. But I also remember this. After some slip-up, a rule broken, a chore forgotten, or executed sloppily, Are you proud of yourself? Words still kind of ring in my ears. They weren't meant to instill pride. I live in Oklahoma, and it's where my mother came from originally, and Oklahomans are not big on pride. We don't cotton to people whose heads are swollen, who seem to think more of themselves than others do. We appreciate humility and modesty. Probably comes from being too close to Texas. We know all those warnings about pride. It comes before a fall, it pairs with prejudice, It puffs up haughtily. Heck, it's one of the seven deadly sins. And if there is something to be proud of, it must be something you've accomplished. Produced, created, assembled, made yourself, your being as a person, proud, maybe a step too far. So why pride? Why pride in self? and especially why pride in something as immodest as sexuality? This gay pride thing bugs a lot of people. How many times have you heard at work or from family or even thought yourself, I don't mind gay people if they just wouldn't be so out there. Or from gay people themselves. I'm just not political. My sexuality is private. I have no need for gay pride. And I've been considering this and wondering. And perhaps we can find something useful by looking at the opposite. Is the opposite of pride humility? Or is it shame? According to Eric Erickson's developmental stages, toddlers are dealing with the question of autonomy versus shame and doubt. That's about where that little three-year-old was who I saw on the airplane. And some of us keep dealing with those questions. Autonomy is that personal identity, that sense of self that allows us to do in the world what we need to do even when others don't agree with us. And I think that's deeply associated with pride. People who find themselves different because of sexual orientation often develop shame instead of pride and autonomy. People who love someone of the same sex have been taught thoroughly and completely, most of us, that the urges, thoughts, and feelings that we have are wrong. And that message is still predominant today, despite the presence of gay entertainers like Ellen DeGeneres and Nathan Lane, despite TV shows like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, despite all the gay pride parades in the world, those of us growing up attracted to members of the same sex receive the message that that just ain't right. And if anything, that message of wrongness is stronger for people who are transgender, who have questions about their gender identity, who don't fit in with being male or female. And I don't know how, I don't know, and I have, I have difficulty imagining how weighty the burden of that message must be. Imagine your identity as a man or as a woman being a source of shame, put down, not accepted. Sometimes the messages that lead to shame are accidental. Parents say without thinking, when you grow up and get married, the ingrained assumption is that children will follow their heterosexual parents' path, more or less, anyway. It takes conscious effort and conversation to offset such unintended messages of unworthiness. I have a friend who came out to parents who were 100% supportive, and she kind of knew they would be, but it still generated a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty. It was still a chore. You feel like you're disappointing them somehow, even if the rational mind knows better all because of that accidental communication of expectations. A friend of mine with two sons told me that the only reason she had always been careful to be open and communicate other possibilities for life was that she had a close gay friend who had always been convinced that her younger son was gay. And the idea was a little preposterous to her. How can you possibly tell the sexual orientation of a toddler? But it made her think, what if he is? How do I make him know that whatever his sexuality, whoever he grows up to be, I love him and want the best for him? How do you communicate such an idea to a child in an age-appropriate way? Well, I love the words of the song that Fred Small wrote. Uh, And since he wrote that song, he became a UU minister. His song, the words are this. We've cleared off the table, the leftovers saved, washed the dishes and put them away. I've told you a story and tucked you in tight at the end of your knockabout day. As the moon sets its sail to carry you to sleep over the midnight sea, I'll sing you a song no one sang to me. May it keep you good company. You can be anybody that you want to be. You can love whomever you will. You can travel any country where your heart leads and know, I will love you still. You can be by yourself. You can gather friends around. You can choose one special one. But the only measure of your words and your deeds will be the love. You leave behind when you're gone. Some grow, girls grow up strong and bold, some boys are quiet and kind. Some race on ahead, some follow behind. Some go in their own way and time. Some women love women, and some men love men. Some raise children, and some never do. You can dream of the day never reaching the end of everything possible. For you. Don't be shattered by names, by taunts, and games, but seek out spirits true. If you give your friends the best part of yourself, they will give the same back to you. You can be anybody who you want to be. You can love whomever you will. You can travel any country where your heart leads and know. I will love you still. You can be by yourself. You can gather friends around. You can choose one special one. But the only measure of your words and your deeds will be the love you leave behind when you're gone. The message that everyone needs to hear to avoid shame and grow pride is that it is okay to be who they are. So gay pride, where did that come from? Remember the time it started, the late 60s. There was talk about black pride. Studies of how little black children selected white dolls as the best and the prettiest. People realized they needed a sense of pride in self to overcome societal notions of what normal was. Pride was blooming for various ethnic groups before gay men and lesbians discovered it. Back then in the 60s, people were readily and frequently fired or lost their homes for their sexual orientation alone. What's worse, people lost their children their parents, their friends. And that hasn't completely stopped. All of us who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or intersex know stories that make us afraid to be open about who we are. Here are snapshots of a few of mine, stories of people that I carry in my heart with me all the time. Diane, a friend in West Virginia who was straight but not narrow, and often came to these country parties with an assortment of women who were mostly lesbians. And when she divorced, her ex-husband kidnapped her children because he didn't want them to be around her friends. A horrendous custody battle ensued. Linda, who lost her job as a kindergarten teacher because her appearance was too masculine, Her plan of correction for retaining her job actually specified that she needed to wear dresses at least three days a week. She resigned when the superintendent of schools threatened that if she didn't, he would fire both her and the woman she was living with, a fourth-grade teacher who presented a somewhat more feminine image and who was somehow then more acceptable than Linda was. And Rebecca shot to death while camping with her girlfriend because a man spying on them saw them kissing when they thought they were alone. He left both Rebecca and her partner Claudia for dead. Claudia managed to walk out a couple of miles, signal a car, and ultimately recovered, though Rebecca did not. And if Claudia had not miraculously survived... The killer might never have been found. Now, these are stories I didn't have to research to find. They are a few of the stories that have been part of my life. And those of us who identify in these ways carry these stories deep inside us. And they remind us every time we come out that we're taking a risk. We remember the stories, and we wonder when someone treats us shabbily, was that because I'm gay? Did a coworker quit being friendly because they found out? We're always wondering. It can reinforce the shame no matter what our rational minds tell us, and we can't help but carry these stories. We need a healthy dose of pride along with them if we're to survive or if we stop sharing what we know, stop sharing ourselves. And the straight world needs to know us as we need to be known. The beginning of the gay pride movement is often dated to the Stonewall Rebellion in 1969. Drag queens and leather dykes fighting the police, refusing to be treated as second-class citizens They were the most despised part of the community. They still are, to be honest. They are the ones who the respectable part of the community wants to edit out of the gay pride film footage. They were the first to be willing to fight back because they had so little to lose. Others could pass, could get by, and were frightened. The lessons we learn from those flamboyant souls was that none of us are really safe until we are all safe. We can only gain acceptance when our sexual orientation and our gender identity is respected as something not to be ashamed of, but proud of. In rural West Virginia in the 1980s, where I was out, a woman I didn't know well came to me devastated at the loss of a 10-year relationship. No one else in the world besides her lover knew she was a lesbian. She was completely isolated in a time of profound crisis. Without coming out proudly, we are invisible. We listen to the conversation around the coffee machine at work about Bill's wife and Sally's husband, the woman Dan's dating, and can't talk about the person most important to us as a friend, except as a friend. We're denying who we are, and each time it happens, the spirit dies a little. The single most powerful weapon we have in fighting for our rights is making ourselves visible, refusing to deny who we are. And the worst stigma that we face is in religious communities. I am proud to be a minister in a faith which openly affirms people of all sexual orientations. We have passed resolutions for gay rights and against sodomy laws back when those were still on the books. We're even actively supporting marriage equality today. But when I began looking for a church to serve as a minister, and this was in 1993, 14 years ago now, I was advised not to come out until I was invited for an interview. This, even though the information form that goes out clearly asked on the front page for information on family. I disregarded the advice, as I explained to the settlement director back then, I don't want to be minister of a church that would hesitate to call me because I'm a lesbian. The rejection of someone by their religious faith, based on an issue of identity, devastates people, and that continues to go on. My partner's gay nephew, who's in his 20s, was told just a couple years ago by his minister in rural Oklahoma not to come back to church until he could repent of who he was. When I was ministering in Madison, Wisconsin, a UU therapist called me in to help her work with a lesbian who had developed such paranoia about her sexuality that she could barely leave her home. She had heard the message of her religious community and believed the searing image of God's condemnation, that has to be exposed as a lie. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people will assume that a church will reject them unless they are told otherwise, clearly. And that's why it's good to include that in your welcome. When I was in school at Harvard Divinity School, there was a university-wide flap when the conservative newspaper Peninsula published an issue devoted to homosexuality, criticizing it and describing how to break away from it. The same day the magazine appeared, so did anti-gay graffiti and vandalism of gay-positive posters. The Bisexual Gay Lesbian Student Alliance responded with a rally which included as one of its speakers the plumber professor of Christian morals and minister of the campus church, the Reverend Peter Gomes. Peter Gomes uh, is is well known around the country. He had a a prominent book, The Good Book, uh, on interpretation of the Bible, and you kind of need to picture him. He's A very distinguished, old-school, collar-wearing, Episcopal-looking, African-American Baptist. He taught extemporaneous preaching to many of my peers, and the man can preach with every word carefully considered and enunciated precisely. And to the amazement of everyone, even the organizers, the Reverend Gomes got up before this protest and announced I am a Christian who happens as well to be gay. Later in an interview, he explained his public coming out, he said, I felt the climate had been so poisoned that the strongest possible measures were called for. I felt the time had come. And the climate that we live in, is poisoned. The only tool to resist is pride in the face of hatred and intolerance. After Peter Gomes came out, students and alumni called for his resignation. The school administration refused to dismiss him, and as difficult as the encounter was, he admitted months later that knowing everything that had happened He wished he had done it years before. I decided more than 20 years ago, back in West Virginia, when I witnessed so many of those tragedies, that I had little enough to risk, that I needed to be out wherever and whenever I could to make it easier for others in the long run It's why I've been active and even agreed to be in leadership in interweave. And you know what, I think our allies need to do the same, to interrupt gay-baiting or inappropriate jokes or language. A high school teacher who's a member of our congregation, who's a heterosexual, recently testified at, at the school board in Oklahoma City where we're trying to get sexual orientation added as a protected class uh, in the anti-discrimination policies. And she talked about how walking down these hallways between classes over and over, you hear these taunts of gay, queer. These are the worst insults that people in in high school sling at one another. And how she has to think carefully She needs to respond to those insults because otherwise she's endorsing it. She is tacitly going along. If she doesn't interrupt and tell those kids, that's not appropriate. Our churches need to be there too. Most religious communities give mixed messages about whether or not they're open. The questions in many churches uh, revolve around services of union and ordination, and we've, we've been there and done that, but there are other things that, that people look at as subtle signs. Is it okay to announce a 10th or 20th anniversary? Do sermon examples and couples groups speak only of husbands and wives? Does the Sunday school program acknowledge the wide array of families children come from? Is there an active group working on these issues in the community? The biggest problem I sometimes encounter with straight new use though, is that they just don't get what we deal with. The constant questioning of whether it's okay in a given situation to be who we are The stories that we carry that make us insecure. The shyness and paranoia about going into a church. Sometimes straight UUs don't know why we need to be so stubbornly proud. Religion shapes our perceptions of the world. It creates the reality we live in. If we're able to stand tall and be who we are in the world, we must do so in our religious communities. Times have changed and yet they haven't. Not that long ago, the Reverend J. Deacon worried when he used the Well of Loneliness by Radcliffe Hall in a service. Was it too overdramatic as he described it? That old tearjerker about a woman whose mother has intercepted a love letter to another woman and now confronts her with icy and condescending contempt destroys any sense of self her daughter could have had and disowns her. And as he read, he watched a woman in the congregation sob. She told him that the same thing had happened to her two weeks before. So why pride? We need to be proud to stem the voices outside us that tell us you are not worthy. And we need to be proud to hush the voices inside us that tell us, you are not worthy. We need to be proud of ourselves, and we need to be proud of everyone who stands for our principles. Everyone who stands up for love in all its manifestations. And it's easy to embrace that love. More than 20 years ago in my little congregation in Fellowship in Cumberland, Maryland. A gay group wanted to meet in the church and the board was discussing it. It was a hard question. It was a conservative area. Someone said, what if somebody throws a brick through our window? And the treasurer, now treasurers aren't known for being people of the heart. They're known for being people of the head. But the treasurer, without hesitation, said, That's what we have insurance for. (laughs) That's the kind of allies we need. That kind of standing up for love that seeks for justice for all, recognizes our common humanity, despite our particular journeys through life. I challenge you to embrace that spirit of love. May each of you find your strength your love, your inspiration, and your place in the world. Amen.